Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Korean American Parenting Podcast. My name is Jerry Wan. I am your co-host here, along with my co-host Jang Cho. And today we are really excited uh, to host my friend Jibin Park, who is a high school educator and has been a high school educator uh, for the better part of two decades. And so we are really excited uh, to learn about his perspective and his experiences, not only as a parent, but as a teacher in the public school system out here in Southern California. And so without further ado, here's my co-host, Jang. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to have Jibin on board today. Um, hello. H- welcome, Jibin. Hi. How are you doing, guys? We're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate uh, being able to come on here. Um, so uh, any, any questions we, uh, we, we have, uh, be more than happy to address. Yeah, no, uh, I say okay, because it's been quite a (laughs) crazy month of September and uh, going into October. Um, But thank you for coming on board. Um, So as an intro, could you um, tell a little bit about yourself and your family and your background? Sure. Um, My name is Jabin Park, and uh, I'm married to uh, my, my beautiful wife, Susan. We've been married 11 years. Uh, I have two uh, two kids, uh, one uh, Zachary and um, Juliet. Uh, Zachary is eight years old. He was actually born uh, eight years uh, so eight years ago. He was born uh, forty eight years um, after the assassination of John F. Kennedy on November twenty second. So I like to always try to uh, add a little historical tidbit. Uh, I uh, on, I mean maybe fortunately no, there's no uh, presidential assassination on my daughter's birthday, uh, but uh, she uh, <laughs> she was born uh, she was born in May of 2014. Um, I'm a high school teacher and uh, I've been teaching. This is now my 19th year over at Los Altos High School in oh Hacienda Heights. Wow. Yeah, it's, I've been in the well technically. Uh, this year, I haven't been in my classroom. I have actually only been in my real classroom only one time. I actually went yesterday to drop off uh, a book, pick up a book, uh, and uh, it's missing a lot of chairs. We're we're in preparation possibly to return back to school in second semester, um, if it if if that's the case. Now, uh, my principal is very optimistic. Uh, Jeff Hess, he's optimistic. And I think there's a lot of folks that would like to go to school, but uh, I think it might be depending on the whole COVID situation and what LAUSD uh, is going to do. But that's a little bit about myself. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I think that um, you've hit a lot of uh, points that we would love to talk about um, later in the show, the COVID and how the teaching is going and how the school 
and the kids are doing in terms of being virtual the whole time. And I'm glad you're already talking about opening up school and the prepping, what goes behind the scenes as well. Um, but 19 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 19, 19 years. Uh, so tell me a little bit of how you got into teaching and you must love it if you are in it for 19 years. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh well, first off, let me say that I never intended on teaching. When I was in high school or college, uh, I know a lot of my peers, uh, that's something that they wanted to do for their entire lives. Um, my situation was a little bit different. Uh, I went to Whitney High School in Cerritos, California. So I grew up in Southern California. Uh, and um, I went to UC Berkeley. Uh, UC Berkeley for um, uh, what I thought would be my undergraduate career, but uh, I stayed all of one semester. I stayed all of one semester because I transferred over to. What happened? Uh, you know, Berkeley is fine. I, I liked it. I enjoyed my time there. <laughs> it's fine. Actually, it's fine. <laughs> I went to one. Uh, uh, I've been only to one football game my entire life. I went to a, a, a Cal Stanford game. Uh, I went with my sister who actually uh, went to Stanford. But uh, I transferred because uh, I really want to play baseball. And I tried out for the baseball team over at Berkeley. And I realized I was not a Division One player. And when I went to Whitney High School in Cerritos, uh, you know, I, I was a fairly good student and uh, I played on the baseball team there and I was pretty good. But I had really no direction as to if I was a Division One player, Division Two, II, Division Three player. And so I thought, I guess I'll go to Berkeley and I'll just try out for the team. And uh, I was cut. I was just one, uh, I think it was a one day tryout and I was cut. And I basically made the decision, you know what, I really want to play collegiate baseball. And um, there's uh, an individual I played uh, against in high school. His name was Brian Kriegler. And uh, back then, I had to look up his email address. And I emailed him. And I asked him about um, you know, what college he was going to. And he was going to Claremont McKenna College. And uh, I really had never heard of Claremont McKenna College uh, up until uh, that point. And... Uh, but I, I kind of did a quick research on it. I know it's one of the Claremont colleges along with Pomona. And it's one of the few schools that actually accept mid-year transfers. Uh, Pomona College uh, did not. And it's really difficult to do UC transfers. And I, I knew that UC San Diego was a Division three baseball school. Uh, but uh, it's very difficult to transfer in the middle of your fresh, freshman year. So I did that. And my plan was to play for the Dodgers and pitch for the Dodgers and, and try out for the major leagues. Uh, but unfortunately, that, that route did not materialize. And uh, after I graduated college, I had really no intention of teaching. Uh, I worked at a place called Big League Dreams over out in uh, Cathedral City. And uh, I just what kind of... It, it's a It's a recreation park where uh, basically pe people play... Um, uh, softball games on replica major league fields. Oh, okay. So I, I was really sports obsessed and I wanted to do something, you know, baseball related. And that's kind of what's driven me in, in a lot of things that I, I, I do. Uh, but I think I, I had an epiphany. I was uh, bagging softballs in the middle of the desert uh, in August. It was like <laughs> 120 degrees. And I thought, you know, I don't think I went to college to bag softballs in the middle of the desert. And so I just thought, you know what, um, what about substitute teaching? And so I, I just picked that up as a second job. And, um, and I like being in front of the classroom. And I got an opportunity to coach uh, JV baseball at my old high school. So I did that. And I applied oh, to, 
Mm-hmm. I applied to Claremont uh, Graduate uh, School to get my teaching credential and master's. And I got that all done. And I was in the classroom all within like, you know, it happened really quickly. And uh, it was it was it was tough, you know, teaching uh, the first year, I think uh, I, I taught algebra, civics and economics in my first year. Now, I I have a, a teaching credential in social science, and that's what I'm trained to teach. Uh, primarily, I teach just economics, but that first year, uh, they were in need of a math teacher and, uh, you know, um, getting a job if it required How me to teach. How was math? Yeah. You know what? Uh, the The content wasn't, I mean, I taught algebra AB, uh, basically the first year of algebra, uh, or the first semester in algebra stretched out over a year. Uh, the content wasn't hard, but, you know, I had no training in teaching math. So that first year was kind of an adventure. Uh, you know, I would go to the math department meetings and then I would run over to the social science department meetings. Uh, so it, it was a challenge. That didn't deter you from going teaching again the next year? <laughs> you know what? I, I I was all in. So my first year, I, I you know, it, it was tough. I was planning all these different things, but I enjoyed the challenge and and I coached baseball. So my 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 first uh, nine, 10 years of teaching, uh, I coached baseball. I coached a year softball. So my motivation in in going into teaching was uh, a lot of it was because I also wanted to be coaching. And there's not many jobs where you can actually coach unless you are a teacher. So that's what kind of got me into into teaching. But uh, about like seven, eight years into teaching, you know, I I kind of got burned out a little bit with coaching, just kind of doing everything. Uh, And that's when I, I got married in 2009. And I, I used my, my, uh, the time where I, I got married as a way to kind of phase out of coaching. So, um, and I, I got a little bit more s- serious in teaching, uh, picking up uh, teaching AP economics. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of devoted the time I have to developing my craft of teaching, specifically AP econ and, and econ. Um, and so I've, uh, so, so I have more to tell you that you, mm-hmm. You teach the two most hated subjects from my high school years. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. Government. <laughs> so, um, so what do you actually really like about the teaching, and what really has kept you? It sounds like you, um, the baseball uh, and softball was a big part, but now that you've kind of pivoted, um, what do you, what do you like? And also, you know, how do you deal with teens? Because it, I, you know, from my background, I know that it takes a very special person to be in and out of many teens' lives like that. Well, I, you know what, econ gets a really bad rap as being this dry subject that uh, you know supply and demand and a bunch of graphs that just don't make sense. And you know, there are graphs and there are uh, things that are a little bit confusing to students, but. Uh, I, I, I do enjoy the content, but I, re- I really love it when when the light bulb turns on on, on students and mm-hmm. uh, they understand. Now, teenagers being teenagers, they're not going to, as a rule of thumb, they're not going to, at the end of the day, tell you, wow, Mr. Park, thank you for teaching me economics. I really appreciate what you did. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you I'll be don't? lucky. You don't get that? They, no, not, I mean, not every day, but, um, 
students are going to be a little bit more uh, subtle in how they uh, convey their appreciation. But I did get an email yesterday, uh, actually a couple days ago, uh, a student at Cal State Fullerton. She was a student uh, during the second semester during the whole shutdown. And and she emailed me and she said that uh, she was really confused uh, about a topic that a professor was teaching in regards to elasticity of demand. And she uh, looked at her notes that she took in my class as a high school student and said, uh, yeah, looking at your notes and it, it was very understandable. And so she sent me an email thanking me. And I was like, that's awesome because oh, that, I usually don't get that these types of emails. That must have made day. Yeah, it, it, it was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that, uh, I, uh, it, it gives me a little bit of encouragement. And teachers just need that encouragement just to know that they're not just – saying things uh, into the air. So, uh, you know, stuff like that kind of uh, uh, is helpful uh, with me knowing that uh, even though maybe I might not get the most positive feedback. I mean, I deal with a lot of situations where, you know, students aren't turning in work, especially with the new, uh, you know, with the virtual format, it's kind of a challenging to get students to be completely motivated. But uh, I think for me, the, the thing that I try to focus on is that, uh, you know, it, 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 this is not exclusive to just teaching. You just got to do the best that you can. Uh, you know, even though it might not, it might not be recognized or rewarded immediately. You know, just try to put in the work. And uh, you know, all, all all my colleagues out there, you know, trying to juggle with uh, you know the virtual format, it, it's very challenging and it can be kind of a thankless yeah. thing to do. But, you know, it's very rewarding when you get emails like that, when you get the $50 gift card from Best Buy. I think that's the best gift I got in terms of like a monetary uh, uh, amount. Oh, uh, but that was years I ago. I think that was like, my notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, or getting, you know, getting, getting, a, you know, a box of chocolates or something. But uh, it's it just, it's great being able to, you know, impact students. Uh, uh, I, I particularly like, seniors because they're headed off into the real world and I can get them, um, you know, thinking about the choices that they make, um, the decisions, the opportunity costs. Right. And so I try to relate uh, to them and, and kind of speak from a perspective of someone who has already gone to college, uh, has already kind of experienced, uh, you know, some things in life. So I try to share, uh, you know, practical things, um, in my econ class, I, I, I make it a point to have students do a budget project where they're, you know, keeping track of their expenses and income. Oh, that, yeah, that's actually really helpful. I, sh- I wish I had that. Um, I think that's actually really great because I have a lot of uh, kids come to me be- um, and nowadays it's called fail- failure to launch, right? Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of kids who launch to a great schools in college and then they have a really hard time. And so you're actually preparing them for that. Yeah, and you know, a lot of students they uh, you know they have different life paths. Some some students will go to a four year college directly. Some students will you know go to JCs, uh, and some will start uh, working immediately. So I wanna I wanna be able to take whatever life situation that a student has and and try to give them uh, the advice. So um, that's that's uh, that's been a passion of mine, and and again I, I'm grateful for. Um, 
for uh, being at the district that I, I am at, in Hacienda La Puente. And I actually, uh, in a Forbes survey, I believe uh, our district was ranked the 41st best company to work for in all of California. Not the school district. So if you look at uh, if you look at the Forbes ranking, I think we were ranked 41. So we're number 41. So I don't know if that's a no. a, a great rallying cry, but uh, it it's it's great. I have great colleagues now. I haven't. It, it's kind of um, I'm I'm in communication with my colleagues on uh, online, but it, it is kind of a, a drag that I don't get to see my colleagues uh, on a day to day basis. But um, you know that's one of the realities that we're living in 2020. And, and another reality of 2020, um, tell us a little bit about how your transition was and how your students dealt with it, some of the conversations that you had with your students. Um, I had the great fortune of uh, dropping in on a class of yours last school year um, to share with them a little bit about my own career path and um, great students, but obviously the digital uh, world, especially last school year when it was just thrust upon you. Um, without any preparation, really. Um, how have you navigated it? How would you, um, what was some of your feedback from either the students or the parents, um, you know, as, as you're going through this? And what are some tips for students and their parents on, on best practices for that right now? Uh, when things shut down, things were a little chaotic. Uh, I, th- I think um, a lot of schools had... Uh, uh, maybe maybe weren't the most prepared to deal with with things. So, um, in terms of grading and all these different things, that was kind of secondary. And so, what I wanted to do, and this is where um, you know you graciously volunteered to come and, and be a guest speaker. So, what I try to do is during that pandemic time, I try to you know take uh, the the vantage point of a student and and figure out okay what. What's the best thing that a student can learn given that pretty much school has, has shut down? Um, I was uh, I, I, I teach summer school uh, through actually Mount Sac University, and uh, I was able to get a better glimpse of how virtual learning would take place um, from the beginning. Much different when you start off school in a virtual format than when you shut down and, and have very little idea of what's going to happen. And what I found is that a lot of students responded really well. I mean, I'm not sure if it's because of the subject matter. I honestly think that econ might be delivered better through an online format because a lot of the graphs, a lot of the concepts are straight in front of you. And so a lot of students actually appreciated being able to learn online. Now, obviously, that's not the case with uh, all the students, but... um, I think we're just kind of living in a new normal. Um, so during the fall, it seemed like most students uh, or a lot of students had taken uh, virtual classes over the summer, so they kind of knew what to expect. And, and so during the fall, I, I wouldn't say it was a completely seamless transition, but I think our school, uh, we did a really good job of you know, making you know, expectations uh, of what to do you know, Zoom etiquette, you know, don't shut off the camera, you know, um, there's certain things that I'm sure each school district deals with a different manner. But, you know, I'm proud to work at, at Los Altos High School and the staff, we're, we're, uh, we have done a good job um, in, in terms of letting 
you know, students know and being accessible to students. Uh, uh, I, I work with a, a lot of colleagues that are able to empathize with where students are at. Um, does it mean that all students are, you know, succeeding just as they would um, in an in-person format? You know, that's obviously not the case. But I think with my particular subject matter, um, it's it's something where they're able to still learn uh, in a manner that I might not have been able to deliver in an in-person format. So one thing I would take away is that when we do return to school, whether it's next semester or next year, there's going to be a lot of teaching strategies and techniques that I learned from the virtual formats that will help me with uh, future classes. That's awesome. Um, let's talk to our parents a little bit. I know that many parents, regardless of whether your student is in a hybrid format, going to school um, in person or virtual learning, um, we're all trying to figure stuff out. Um, you know, obviously, Jang and I, we have tiny kids, so we haven't we don't deal with that. But from your perspective as an educator and somebody who meets with the students in one way, shape or form, um, how do we as the parent community best support teachers now? Because we're only seeing our side of the experience. Uh, the way that online and virtual uh, formats have affected teachers, I think it just it just varies. Uh, I think it's a lot more difficult for elementary school students than for high school students in general, because I think just with high school students, I think they have a level of maturity where they kind of understand what the situation is. But with elementary school students, it's it's a lot more difficult. So it, it's hard for me to kind of say as a blanket statement, this is what should be done for, for certain teachers. But I think just understanding that, you know, there's some teachers that might not be able to uh, transfer their content seamlessly on an online format. Uh, you know, there's a varying level of technological uh, capabilities among teachers. And I think it just boils down to communication, uh, just being able to communicate. Uh, I think we're, we live in, in a way where there's so many ways of communication, but it's sometimes hard to actually make that step and communicate. So, I mean, it goes both ways. So, you know, if I have a student struggling with my, in my class, sometimes I just have to make a phone call to a parent and explain what's going on. What's what? What can I do to help you? So it's not necessarily, you know, what can uh, a parent do for a teacher or vice versa. It's just you know, two human beings having to you know communicate and see what you can do to kind of resolve the situation. I think that's a little bit more difficult when you're dealing with young ones. You know, when you have like a five-year-old who's having to squirm through three hours of Zoom. Um, that, that gets a little bit more tricky because, you know, they, they might not be able to understand as well as hopefully a high school student is able to. So, I mean, talking about the young ones, your kids are six and eight years old, right? Correct. Uh, so they're doing virtual school at home and you're teaching at home? Is this what's going on? That is correct. Uh, our district has... Um, there's virtual school and then there's online learning that we opted for that they're not part of the school that they would be going to. So they're 
mm-hmm. doing a district online learning academy. And basically, my wife and I are learning coaches that help with the learning process. Now, when I say my wife and I are both learning coaches, I would say that my wife is more like 99.9% learning coach. <laughs> And I'm the 0.1% learning coach that might teach them a little economics or a little history here and there. I mean, part of it is when I'm when I'm online and live and teaching, I'm I'm not in a position where I'm able to actively uh, help. Uh, my wife has a part time job right now, so she's working, but she's able to work at home. So that's what allows for her to be able to be a little bit more active uh, with the kids' education. I can't imagine what situations are for other parents where they actually have to go to work and uh, a physical work and they're not able to work at home. Uh, It's a blessing that both my wife and I are able to work at home and uh, be able to help out the kids uh, the way that we are doing right now. So that definitely is a blessing. But well, you uh, say far- blessing, but it's, I, I mean, it is blessing, but, you know, I, I can't imagine even with, with your wife being part-time and you're working as a teacher, it must be very difficult because I think at age six and eight, I would think that they need a lot of supervision. They do. And again, this is where uh, without my wife's support and <laughs> active uh active role as being the uh, learning coach, then I don't know if this would be possible. But I I hear stories even at my school where uh, a lot of the high school students, they're not able to fully participate in Zoom because they're having to take care of their little brother and sister because their parents are going to work. So so these situations are real. So as a teacher, I try to be very uh, cognizant of this and uh, be accommodating. As a as a parent, um, you know we made the decision to do the online learning partly because we had the opportunity to be staying at home and and do that. And so it's a very fluid situation, though. But uh, living in Orange County, uh, you know, a lot of the kids are returning to school, and you know these are just decisions that we have to make collectively in, in terms of do we want to send our kids back to school even though, you know, Orange County guidelines say it's okay. Um, We're not quite sure if that's something that we want to do as parents. Um, So we're not even 100% sure exactly how this entire year is going to go, but I'm sure that's the case for a lot of parents. We're in the same boat as a lot of other parents. I think it's a lot of anxiety-provoking situations, uncertainty, and kind of decisions that we have to make as parents that we don't know what the outcome is going to be and trying to make the best decision that, uh, of the things that we don't know. I mean, I guess whole bulk of parenting is like that anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you know, my wife and I were having conversations about how we feel about, you know, having our kids go back to physical school, whether or not we should wait until, you know, winter break or until, you know, summer, Um, you know, these are just conversations that we're having. 
So I want to kind of pivot this a little bit because um, it's like a great opportunity to have a Korean American teacher dad, which is, <laughs> I think it's very hard to find, um, but who also has two children, um, you know, as, as a Korean American father and, uh, and obviously a teacher, what, um, do you have anything that you um, do with your kids specifically for um, kind of being a Korean American in this world and how to, um, what are your visions of your children growing up in this world? Uh, you know, being, being a, again, a Korean American father, being an Asian American father, but also being American, but ethnically Korean, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to navigate, you know, what I teach my son and daughter and at what levels and, you know, how to be aware I mean, this is this is a task that I'm gonna enjoy um, taking part of as we, you know, as as my kids grow up. Um, I, I asked my daughter recently, um, you know, am I Korean or am I American? You know, I'm in, and so I, I try to kind of, you know, from their perspective, and and so she kind of gave me like this quizzical look. Uh, you're Korean. You were born in Korea, right? And I said, yes, but I'm also American as well. I mean, I came here when I was two years old. Uh, I, I, was, I came here in 1982. <laughs> it was a tough decision on my part to come to the United States, but uh, it's a decision that I made. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, so, you know, being Korean American, you know, finding, you know, what is that identity, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, and I, I struggle with that too. And, well, how? Uh, yeah, so I, in terms of, you know, having my my kids, you know, completely aware that they're fully American, but at the same time, you know, we're hyphenated Americans, being Korean American. Uh, they're they're learning a little bit of Korean. Again, this is where my wife takes a more active role in in teaching them <laughs> Korean. Uh, shout before, out to the wife. Shout out to the uh, the wife. Uh, but you know, when uh, before our church had shut down, you know, we had a Sunday, you know, Korean school that was at our church. Uh, we're kind of improvising a little bit now with uh, uh, another family and and trying to learn Korean together. Um, now, is it important for me that my kids learn Korean? I would like for them to learn, but the practical side of me says maybe they should learn Chinese. Maybe they should learn Japanese <laughs> and Spanish. Uh, you know, maybe should learn languages that are more practical. So that's maybe the the practical economic side of me, but there is a part of me that wants to maintain that Korean heritage. But the importance of learning Korean, at least for my generation, a lot of it had to do with communicating with uh, our parents. You know, I, I communicated right. for, yeah. you know, I would, you know, say, you know, again, my, my Korean isn't the most fluent, but, you know, I would communicate with my, my, my parents, uh, you know, in, in, in Korean uh, for the most part. But that language barrier will not exist between myself and my kids. So learning Korean, while it is important, uh, I'm not sure if it's the most important thing in the world. Now, communicating mm-hmm. I with... Think, I think that's actually... Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think I agree with you because I, I, my, you know, my kid is actually almost four and getting online tutor for Korean right now. <laughs> How's that um, going? slow <laughs> she's very proud she's very proud of it um but i think the the reason for me doing that is not because she needs to 
um, communicate with me, but um, my side of family, my, my parents live in Korea. And so they speak no English pretty much. Um, and I would like her to at least be able to communicate. She doesn't have to be fluent, but she, she would have to be able to understand what her grandparents are saying to her. So th that's very personal. But at the same time, I think you, I agree with you that that's not, the language isn't the most important part of what I want to instill. Um, what for you, what is the most important part of the culture that you would like to take um, to give it to your children? I th I think to me the the fact of being Asian American might almost be as important as being Korean American because yes. my context is mm -hmm. you know we're living in the United States and I almost feel that I want my kids to be able to look around them and look at all other Americans and not feel the sense that they're anything less or anything different. I want them to know that they are American. So it, it is a tricky balance uh, in terms of maintaining, you know, culture as well as, uh, you know, maintaining, you know, American pride, but Korean pride. So it, it is a tough thing. Now, when Korea played in, you know, the world baseball classic or whenever there's uh, Olympics, my allegiances turn to Korea. Uh, so I, I don't know Why? exactly how, how, you know what? That's a very interesting question. Why wouldn't I root for the United States of America? Why would I default to rooting for uh, Korea? I don't know. There's, there's just the Korean pride in me that wants to root for Korea. And uh, I, I don't know how else other to explain it that way. Uh, again, I, I feel like my kids will have a very different experience than I did. And, you know, there's definitely some positives and maybe some negatives from that. But I don't know if I want them to necessarily uh, have their experience of who they are as a person be rooted in their ethnic identity. Uh, my, you know, for me, it's really important for them to be in touch with their spiritual identity. So, you know, having, uh, mm. you know, imputing with them, you know, my Christian faith and growing up and having you know, an understanding of who they are as, uh, you know, as, as children of God. To me, that would probably be the priority. Now, do I want them to, you know, eventually, maybe when this whole quarantine is over, be able to visit Korea and, and visit all their relatives? I would love for them to have that understanding of who they are and where they came from, because I think that's very important. Um, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's a tricky balance, you know, because they're just going to have a different context of growing up than I did. So, um, yeah, well, you've mentioned uh, your uh, own growing up and your own identity um, kind of development. Um, are there things that you want to take from your own childhood to give it to your um the way that you parent as a parent? And are there things that um, you would like to do it differently? Um. I, my experience growing up, I have an older brother and older sister. Um, and, uh, you oh, know, growing up, yeah, I'm the Mangne. I'm the Mangne. And, uh, ah. uh, so maybe I'm the, uh, the selfish one and, uh, you know, the one that, <laughs> that, uh, didn't have the responsibilities of, of, uh, you know, you know, keeping the family together. Uh, but what do I want to, you know, impute on, on my kids in terms of, 
um, you know, Korean Korean cultural identity. But yeah, I don't I don't know if specifically um, just knowing that, um, you know, I, I think maybe it's maybe some some of the characteristics that that come from Korean culture, you know, respecting, you know, elders and and uh, having having uh, an understanding that um, you know that they're uh, you know of, of again, wh- again where they came from and 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 family it's a little tough honestly because I know a lot of my friends a lot of their families when they came they immigrated together and uh, that was just really wasn't the case uh, with my family my family uh, we were the only cousins that came and all my cousin aunts and uncles mm. are still in, in in Korea so uh, for me I don't know if it's again. It's not necessarily a specifically Korean American issue, but I want them to, you know, have a sense of family that uh, that maybe I didn't have as much because I didn't have my cousins and uncles growing up. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, a lot of her family, you know, immigrated to the United States uh, together. So uh, you know, when, when I got when I got married, it was, it was kind of fun because I just inherited a huge, you know, family that uh, that um, I previously didn't have because of uh you know geographic you know proximity so uh, i want them to have a sense of family my my sister lives up north uh so when she went to stanford and graduated she stayed up in the area and so we try to make it a point to you know build the importance of family um covid has made it a little bit difficult to um you know meet uh, often but um you know i have a i have a nephew and a niece uh uh, Abby and Joshua, and and so they're they're my family as well. So I, one of the things I want to be able to uh, to give my kids is to have that sense of family apart from you know brother and sister, you know, um, being able to be close with their cousins. I think what you're talking about is kind of like sense of belonging together in this uh, America, right? And, and and being American as a family and not just kind of an outsider, but a part of the bigger picture when you talk about your family, but also talking about Asian Americans um, being an Asian American. I think that's really important for our children um, and and this this age right now, what we're going through um, uh, to have that um, sense of belonging here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Again, that's apart from any COVID situation. Uh, with again right. with COVID, you know I'm again one of the blessings of COVID. One of the silver linings is that I'm spending a lot more time with my kids than I otherwise would be. But I don't. I mean, the kids are at an age where they actually like they actually like hanging out with me, and so I, I actually appreciate that. You know, they uh, they actually want to hang out with me. They want to play games. Uh, we we uh, we bought exploding kittens. I don't know if you've ever heard of that game, uh, but we we play. What, what is that? It, it sounds like a gruesome game, but it's it's just uh, it's it's a game with I I can't really explain it. You get an exploding kitten, but if you have a diffuse card, then you can <laughs> diffuse it. Uh, it. It's just a fun game that you can play with the family and and my kids actually want to play these board games. They're they love Scrabble, mm-hmm. and uh, they want to play with they want to play with me and and um, you know once they get to the teenage age because. You know, my um, 
you know, my sister, my uh, my sister, they're 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 getting to an age where they're teenagers, and and they might want a little bit more independence than my kids would want. So um, that that's that's one of the the blessings of of being uh, together. Uh, but they do want to you know mingle with others as well, and you know meet you know mingling on Zoom is a little bit different than mingling in real life. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. I, I think you you've covered on such amazing topics, and you know just that last part of um, as as challenging as it is it has been, um, we get to spend extra time with our kids at home, and we don't know how long this period of time is going to last, but um, we also don't know when we're going to get this time back, right? So whether like your kids and you, you're, you're home all the time and as, as challenging it is for all of us to try to mix in work with family balance time um, and maybe for kids in high school or in college where um, it presents different challenges because, you know, being a teenager or, or a young adult um, under your parents' roof is challenging as it is, um, but you physically can't leave either. So um, to, to all the parents out there going through the struggle, um, we're with you um, in, in more ways than one. So, um, Jimin, thank you for making time. Um, as, as we've talked about, you've got a lot of things going on between your teaching um, and your responsibilities with your children and as um, just trying to do a lot right now. So I, I think we, we appreciate you. Um, we caught you on an off day for the Dodgers. I know you... You, you rank number one on my personal friend list of Dodger fans. Um, so much so that I probably read more about the Dodgers off of your Facebook post than I do from ESPN now, which is amazing. Well, it's actually not an off day. They, they play in about an hour. Or... Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, we, we got the timing not an right. off day. I, I apologize. We're, we're recording. Uh, if you want to figure out what they were recording this, um, we, we have 10 more wins to go until the World Series Championship. So 10 more. Um, that's right. You're, you're, you're wearing your jersey. Um, but yeah. It's Kershaw. Know, I, it, it's Kershaw. I, I, I got to say, though, man, I, I've had a chance to get to know you. Um, I think on and off loosely for the better part of a decade. And um, the example that you set um, for your family and, and for your students, um, really, really honorable in, especially in a career that, um, as, as Jang alluded to earlier, not many Korean American men choose, um, especially within uh, teaching, especially within that high school space. And so um, just even from a visibility perspective that these students can see a Asian American, Korean American man teaching them, in a position of influence in academics. Um, I think you are doing a lot um, to instill belief and just good uh, representation for all of us. So thank, thanks for what you do, man. It's just, I, I personally, and I'm sure for the community, it means a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jerry and Jang. It was, it was a pleasure talking. I didn't know exactly where we were going to go, but uh, hopefully this, uh, this <laughs> podcast uh, is something that you can use. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. Best of luck to your students. Uh, thank you to your wife and your kids um, for, for letting you spend some time with us on this afternoon. And um, we will probably, uh, hopefully, get to see you in, in person very soon, man. Thanks again for your time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook 
at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com, to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple. And share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.